Are you here? Well, that's interrogative. Now, if you put that question backwards, like, here you are, it's declarative. So welcome to the Paul Leslie Hour, my friends. Just a quick comment, ladies and gents, a remark. Now, we know that Mr. Jimmy Buffett recently went into the hospital. Oh, it happens to all of us, that's for sure. I think we can be certain that all of the listeners, including your announcer who is speaking, as well as Paul Leslie, are all sending our prayers and well wishes. Jimmy means a lot to the world of music, and we look forward to him getting back to his old self. Jimmy, we send you warmth and reverence, sir. Now, we're about to listen to an in-depth interview with Michael Utley and Robert Greenwich of Club Trini. That's exclamatory. Greenwich and Utley are longtime members in Jimmy Buffett's Coral Reefer Band, in addition to their own Club Trini project. Now, this interview was recorded in old Key West, Florida. Oh, yes, goes back a number of years when Paul was just a wide-eyed pup just getting started in the world of radio. Michael and Robert, being the great gentlemen they are, stopped into a house with a backyard and gave Paul as much time as he wanted. Nice guys, right? That's interrogative. You can hear a lady walking by at one point where it says, Is that Michael Utley? (laughs) Michael Utley recently mentioned this historic interview and we thought it was worth bringing out to all of our listeners on Spotify, Apple, iHeartRadio, etc. It's been digitally remastered for your listening enjoyment. And here is an imperative. That means request or command. Please consider liking the Paul Leslie Hour on Facebook. (laughs) You can also subscribe on YouTube. Do it now. Do it now. Do it now. So let's hear Michael Utley and Robert Greenwich down in Key West sitting down with Paul Leslie to talk about Club Trini, Jimmy Buffett, and the many artists they've recorded with. What do you say, let's listen together? We're chilling out down here in paradise, Key West, Florida, with Mr. Mike Utley and Mr. Robert Greenwich. Together they make Club Trini, and they also do dog projects with Jimmy Buffett and any number of people. Hello, guys. How are you doing? How are you, Paul? Now, the amount of music you guys do is just phenomenal, so I think most stories are best from the beginning, so if you guys could tell us a little bit about where you came from and how you got started in music, um, let's start with Mike. Well, I started in music, um, I was a zoology major at the University of Arkansas, planning to be a doctor, and uh, during that whole time I played in bands, uh, I was a keyboard player in bands. And I had an opportunity to do a Bill Black combo album. It was final. Yeah. It was 1969 during spring break. And uh, Bill Black was Elvis's bass player. And he had an instrumental group in the early 60s. And uh, so I, I went to Memphis and recorded that. And I, I said, you know, I've got, I don't want to be a doctor. I, I, I don't have that commitment. Uh, I want to be a musician. So I ended up, I moved to Memphis and uh, 
Stayed there for six months. Had an opportunity to move to Miami uh, with a rhythm section that was going to be the house rhythm section for uh, Atlantic Records, which was a great opportunity. And uh, I did that. Moved to January 1st, uh, 1970, and ended up recording with the, the likes of Taj Mahal, uh, which Robert and I have in common, uh, working with him, uh, Aretha Franklin, uh, Sam and Dave, all, all the R&B guys, uh, Ronnie Hawkins, uh, all these people that were on Atlantic Records. And um, I, I did that uh, for a year and a half, and that, I, I did an album with Jerry Jeff Walker. Uh, which was the name of it was called Being Being Free, and uh, Jimmy and Buffett was uh, good friends with Jerry Jeff, and uh, he had moved here from Nashville, South Florida, and um, that's sort of how I met Jimmy through Jerry Jeff, because uh, Jimmy heard the work that we did on Jerry Jeff's record and uh, asked me to be a part of his first record, and um, so in. February of 1973, uh, we did the White Sport Coat Pink Crustacean record. And uh, in the meantime, you know, Jimmy was a, a solo singer-songwriter. You know, he did it by himself. Uh, I mean, I, I met Fingers during that time, Fingers Taylor, uh, Roger Bartlett, uh, who were some of the original guys in the band. Um, and it, during that same time, I was working with uh, Chris Christopherson and Rita Coolidge. Uh, who, uh, I mean, I worked the road with them. It wasn't until um, around 76, after we did Margaritaville, that he sort of put a band together. Actually, he put the band together right at when we were doing uh, Havana Daydream, that album. And it was Roger and Fingers and uh, Philip Rojardo and uh, Harry Daly were, were the band. And it wasn't until... After Margaritaville was a big record that I started working with Jimmy, uh, along with other keyboard players, uh, Jay Spell, uh, Andy McMahon, uh, and uh, in 81, I started working the road finally with Jimmy full-time. And uh, I met Robert. Uh, we were doing one particular harbor out in L.A., and Elliot Shiner was the engineer, and he recommended Robert to, you know, to do the steel drums. And uh, we've been together ever since. And now, Mr. Greenwich. Yes. Uh, Mr. Greenwich is uh, originally from Trinidad. Uh, he grew up in the sea pines of the early age of about eight, nine years old. And uh, he grew up, uh, there was a group across the street from his house where he learned to play the drums because his family were also involved, his uncles. And that's where I really learned my stuff from. And uh, uh, most of my music was with steel, steel drums as a steel drum player. I deal with all the steel drum bands in the Caribbean, Trinidad, and I know we do the world. Um, I have been... Uh, with a famous group called the Desperado Steel Drum Band, one of the best that they have uh, in the world. And uh been playing with them since 1964, actually. And uh, ever since that, I've uh, been on the road uh, with them, and then we and moved to Los Angeles in 19, uh, 1981. No, 1971, I think I moved to LA. Well, that's the 81, I'm wrong. 71. 
I moved to LA. And uh, my guardians, uh, a couple of the groups out there, uh, former owners, Steel Drum Band, or they call it, Los Angeles Desperados, Steel Band. And we also, um, by being out there, I get the opportunity to work with a couple of guys in the studio, gentlemen, in my band, like in my first red water session. And uh, by doing that, I end up working with people like Harry Nielsen, Tat Mahal, couple of the others, like Ringo Starr and everybody who was in the area at the time, because early was the top of the musician in all the studios, so I had an opportunity of playing the steel band. Playing it, uh, other than any other, you know, this was, they didn't have the synthesizers yet, so the steel band was very, uh, you know, one of the top things, strange for people, but people who uh, liked it, put it on the CD, or the records then, you know, and uh, I've been in LA, as I said, since 1971, and I, in 1981, 82, I met, uh, I had the opportunity, as Mike said, to come and record with Jimmy Buffett in uh, the studio in Los Angeles, actually at Bermuda. And uh, there was one particular harbor we were working on, and next thing Mike said, do a couple more songs, you know. <laughs> and we were there, and uh, after that, I was asked to come on the road with Jimmy, and the rest of Early history up to now, absolutely, Jimmy. I also do my own projects. We, uh, as we know, we are Club Trini. And Club Trini started off uh, where me and Mike would just we decided to write some songs and get a nice recording deal. Uh, and Thanks, Jimmy. Fuck well. Tony Brown did that. The Master Series. Yes. And that was the first deal that uh, Club Trini really had. And uh, was five CDs down the road now. We are still out there, stick. We're still on the road, and uh, at present we uh, with a boat. Uh, just getting things on, and uh, we are getting ready to working on a new CD also. So in time to come, you'll hear Capsini with a new CD at the Greenwich again. Sounds cool to me. So uh, tell us a little bit about how about Mailboat Records and how this all came to be. Well, uh, you know, originally there was a, a, a label out of when Jimmy moved to Nashville, Margaritaville Records, and uh, it was uh, like four people involved in the label, and we had artists like Todd Snyder, Evangeline, uh, the Iguanas, yeah, uh, and uh, that lasted for about four years. And uh, how Mailboat came about, Jimmy decided not to be on a major label anymore. Uh, so he uh, basically started his own label, uh, uh, which was called, it is called Mailboat. And it, it basically, um, I mean, uh, pretty much it, it's a distribution company. We've done one album for Mailboat. And, um, you know, they, they put the CDs out uh, to the different, you know, Best Buys and all the different Target and and uh, Walmart and uh, Tower, all the different uh, outlets. And the, uh, uh, it's not like, I mean, Margaritaville Records was more like a traditional record company, trying to make new artists, whereas Mailboat is more uh, artists that are already, I mean, uh, believe it or not, Poison was on Mailboat Records. They still might be, I don't know, uh, that, the uh, 80s rock group uh, Boss Gangs has an album on Mailboat. Uh, Dan Fogelberg has an album. Um, and I'm trying to think. Mac McAnally, yeah, yeah has, has an album on Mailboat. And we did we did uh, 
one of the first ones, which was uh, Meet Me at Margarita. I mean, uh, Live, Live, Trinity Live at Margaritaville, which was uh, featured a uh, couple tracks with Jimmy, and uh, basically it was a redo of our redo of, 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 of material. And uh, but uh, to get back to Club Trinity, the way it started, uh, a guy named Tony Brown out of Nashville. Um, wanted to put a label together for MCA of different people that had worked in Nashville from different genres of music rather than country music. And uh, Larry Carlton was sort of the the uh, the, the, yeah, the the flagship uh, artist and uh, acoustic alchemy. Right. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, the uh, uh, trying to think. Oh, Ed- Edgar Meyer. Yeah, he did an album, and, and Robert and I did an album, um, and so we ended up doing three of those albums for MCA Master Series, and those are the three you can't get now. Yeah, they're, yeah, they're, they're out of print, and uh, then we did uh, Club Training, right. uh, which was for Island Records, which is now part of MCA or, or uh, Universal. Uh, then we did uh, we did Club Training back in town, which was on Club Training Records, our own label, yeah. and then we did. For Margaret, I mean, for a mailboat, yeah, the right. the live album, and uh, like I said, we're going to do another one. Robert and I are going to do another. One. Yes, and I know that uh, you guys have been traveling on the road with Jimmy Buck quite some time, so uh, it appears like you guys enjoy yourselves. So tell me, and I ask all the coral reefers this: What is it that you love about being a coral reefer? Uh, that's the fact that, you know, we are out there and being, um, on the Jimmy with his, his mind, you know, he's always so, what we call, um, he's always out there, uh, trying to do new things and, uh, you know, do, and that, by doing that, we get a chance to do new things also. And, uh, being around since 19, what, 82, 83, it's, it's a long time and we get like a family. We get to, you know, to know each other very well. And, uh, even though we all live in different states, but that's like, you know, uh, you get together to play. We, we call our reapers, get together to play. It's a good thing to do because of the fact that, you know, as I said, we know each other for a long period of time and everybody feels good and comfortable around each other. Well, like Robert said, it's just, um, you know, a lot of people would say, well, do you ever get tired of doing that music? And it's, and we don't because it's such a wide variety of music, uh, that we get, to, you know, and, and, uh, a great group of people. I mean, Robert, Ralph, McDonald, yeah, uh, the mayors, uh, Pete and Jim and, and, and Roger Goop, great musicians. And it's just, uh, the variety of music that we get to do because Jimmy is always open to it. He doesn't, he, you know, he's not, He's not set in one sort of uh, genre, and uh, so you know it's just it's it's always enjoyable and it's always a a treat to play the music, you know. So we don't get tired of it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> one of my favorite questions to ask musicians when they're traveling on the road, they always have what I like to call fan stories, things that can only happen on the road. And sometimes when I ask this question, the answer I get isn't really suitable for the radio. But so what? what's your band story? Something that you always like to remember when this happened. It was maybe crazy or funny or memorable. 
Something that you can remember. Oh, there's a lot of stuff. Uh, but you're right. We might be able to bring it over on the radio. <laughs> you can't repeat it. And uh, maybe in our later life, when they write books or something, uh, then you might be able to hear about these stories. But some of these, but we have good times. We do have good times on the road. And, uh, uh, we really, as I say, you know, enjoy playing with each other on the road. The music is great. Um, but you know, for band stories on the road, there's lots of stuff that goes on, but it really can't be repeated here. Right. <laughs> okay. Well, what about you, Mike? Do you have anything to stick out? Maybe something memorable or something that maybe I touched you? I, I cannot. Uh, no, no, actually, I can tell you about airplane flights. Right. Um, one time we were flying from uh, San Francisco to. This was an Yeah, yeah, yeah. Outside of the. Um, in Central California. Yeah. Anyway, the landing gear didn't go down. The front landing gear, and Jimmy had to get up. And the uh, Captain Bob was our captain, and uh, he had been in the Korean War, and he crashed and burned. <laughs> he was a great pilot, and uh, but his his le- his arm. You know, in other words, you can lower the landing gear, the front landing gear. Manually, so Jimmy had to get up there, and help lower, lower the landing gear, and you know we had fire trucks on the. Uh, I mean, this is on the news. I mean, this is nothing new, and so we landed in Bakersfield. But the the weird thing is that we took off. They had to wire the front landing gear. Yeah, back back to San Francisco after the gig, and um, I mean. I have lots of these stories. Remember Winchester and Denver? Yeah. 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 Wayne, Wayne, Wayne Jackson and Andrew Love, the Memphis Horns, were on the road with us, and uh, they could not believe. Right. Captain Bob comes on and says, fellas, we're going to sit here for a while while the brakes cool off, then we're going to try it again. <laughs> Taking off. But, I mean, these are... Yeah, stories. yeah, yeah. But then there are other stories that we really can't repeat. Right? <laughs> <laughs> we have good times, really. Yeah, and, you know, sometimes we have little after parties on the road, and it's we call after parties, not as before. Right. You know, but uh, we get together and everybody just talk and chat and have fun that night and go to bed. And next day we wake up ready for the next show. And I know that um, you have a new album out, Robert. Uh, it's called From the Heart. Oh yes. Uh, tell us a little bit about this. Well, that actually I was uh, in New York a year or two ago, and I was writing some songs. And uh, my friend Ralph McDonald heard some of them. He said, "Why don't you record this now?" He has a studio at his home, and I just went up there to utilize his uh, his equipment and stuff. And next thing, we really got closer and closer into the, in writing the songs. And uh, I have about five five songs, and uh, I. Uh, collaborated with him on a couple of his songs that we did. I put on the CD also songs like Just the Two of Us. Uh, and then I did a couple of other songs for, I, we, I, we cut Paradise Garden on it, which is one of the famous songs that Trini did on their CD. And, uh, I just had a feel to do it then in New York when we were there. We did it today, showed up in the morning, and next day we went, I went up to Connecticut, Connecticut and cut the songs. And um, we wanted to do something for Trina, for the Trinidad market. So we were kind of uh, um, getting things together because there was a couple of shows that we was going to perform down there, and I wanted to have something like that also because I've been asked to do it before. So I said, okay, um, you know, I'll work with that. And we went ahead and did uh, a couple of songs, as I said. 
collaborated with Ralph on some of his songs also, and we just combined it on the CD, and that was, that's where we came up with From the Heart. Very cool. And uh, one thing that sticks out in my mind, a lot of people know you, of course, as the keyboard player in Jimmy's right. band and with Club Trini, but there's a lot of things um, that people don't know, like that you're the musical director of the oh, Coral Reefer Band. Right. Yes. And I think that's really interesting. So uh, tell us a little bit about that. Well, it's, it, being the musical director of Jimmy's Band, it's it really just keeping up with, you know, verse, chords, solo. I mean, it's really, it's it's not a, it's not like a, uh, you know, where we transcribe, do, do, do charts. You know, we, we talk about it. Uh, I mean, at, we pretty much do everything by memory. You know, that, that's what's expected of us. I mean, there were a couple of times the horn sections were cheating and had charts out there, and I said, "No, no, no! You got to learn. You got to memorize this." Yeah, yeah. And I, well, it was, I think when Wayne and Andrew they yeah. they had charts. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I, I told them up. No, yeah, I told them up. Yeah, yeah. So, but uh, that's really what being the musical director of, uh, and, you know, um, because we only do, like, usually about five segments of shows a year, it's hard to keep up with, like I said, uh, you know, where the solos are, uh, and where the, you know, interludes are, or, you know, so. Yeah. Yeah, so that's basically what I do, is just to, to, to remember all that. Plus, he's the oldest member in the Coral Reef band here. At this I'm point. not the oldest. Not the oldest member. I'm no, no, sorry, no, no, but the no, oldest. No, no. The, <laughs> the <laughs> oldest member of the band. Yeah, I've been with the band. I mean, longer. Right. Not eight. <laughs> we have two members that are older than me. That's right. Yeah, we, we, we won't talk about that. Oh, yeah. Are we talking about but Doyle Grisham and Ralph McDonald are, are both older than I am. They've been veterans. Yeah. But he's been with the band, yeah. Jimmy, for all these years. Yeah. You know? And then after him, I guess, now comes me. Yeah, that's right. And we have fingers playing there, and he on his own. Yeah. But that right. comes up. I mean, being, you know, not the oldest member in the band, but time-wise, time-wise, that's what we talk And you just mentioned uh, Ralph McDonald. Yes. And he's one of my absolute favorite musicians. That his albums... I. Whenever I hear them, I'm just like that last one, homegrown. I just listen to that and I just say, "My gosh, what what talent!" Tell me, you recorded one of Ralph's songs. I'm sure you have a few things. I know Ralph plays with Hope Trini a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, tell us a little bit about Mr. McDonald. Mr. So McDonald, um, I met him in 1979, and uh, he came to Trinidad with a good friend of mine by the name of Joe Brown. He bought him, uh, first time he came to Trinidad and saw us playing, um, music at the hall called the Queen's Hall, which is a big, uh, uh, hall in Trinidad to play music. And he came and checked the show out and, uh, in 1979 and I uh, got a call in 1980 from Ralph to come to New York and record, uh, some music with him. And when I got that call, it was to do a song called Just the Two of Us for the Grover Washington Arms TV. And um, ever since that, uh, we hooked in each other. I played on his CDs a lot. Most of his CDs I've played on. Um, um, anybody else in New York that he, he works with sometimes, he you want fun, you give me a call to come phone with them or do live recordings, that's I think. And um, 
he's a good friend, obviously, you know, for many years. He comes to Trinidad all the time. He, as he always say, he married a Trinidad lady, and uh, he's quite happy. And, uh, you know, we go back and forth to Trinidad a lot. Sometimes we travel and go on tour with him. Sometimes we go to Japan and come back. It just depends, but he's always, he's more into the recording side of the action. We produce different groups, so, you know, you know says if you can, or work with other people. So anytime you get that going and you have the fan in there, that's, he loves the fan so much. He's like me. He tried to put it on everything. I said, no, you can't put it on everything. You gotta, <laughs> you gotta fix it. So, no, no, I said, no, I understand that too, you know, so it's alright. Yeah. But he's a great guy to work with. And um, through him, I met a lot of great people also. Uh, recorded with uh, the show that was over. It was a couple of, most of the stuff for him was his other, his, his CDL show. You know, I've been on his four or five of Ralph's CD stuff. That's how I met him. He's still a good friend. And the last CD we produced it together, because he wanted to, as I say, make sure that uh, we have a good single, you know. And um, again, he's a great guy. Well, yeah. he, um, go back to, I, I'm not sure, but I know his dad was a, oh, yeah. he was from Trinidad, and uh, he was a band leader, and uh, Ralph, what, what was he, what was the band? Not met the uh, Greats. Right, and, um, you know, because Ralph grew up in Harlem, mm -hmm. um, and uh, so I guess it was 80 when, when he went down to Trinidad? Uh, 79. 79, yeah. yeah, because that was really the first time he'd ever been back. I mean, I've been there, you right. know, yeah. But, uh, so that's where his, uh, you know, his, his roots are. I, his mom was from Trinidad. His dad was from Trinidad. Right, right. And they both passed away now, but they, um, they were from Trinidad, and he was born in Harlem. That's, you know? And, it, you know, his first start was with Harry Belafonte. Right. He was the young kid in the group. In the group, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it was, uh, you know, he was a percussionist in Harry's group, and uh, then he ended up with... Uh, uh, first time I ever, uh, Roberta Flagg. Roberta Flagg. Right. And, and that's just the two of us was that Donnie Hathaway. Donnie. I mean, not just the two of uh, Where's the Love? Where's the Love? Yeah, Donnie Hathaway and Roberta Flagg. Yeah. That was his first hit song. Yeah, big record. And, uh, you know, he, he's a great songwriter and a dear friend. And, um, Robert, I know you've, uh, you've played for a lot of famous musicians like as we know Jimmy Buffett but also Barry Manilow who gets a lot of flack these days which I don't understand I don't know why but uh, and uh, tell us about some of the musicians that you've played on maybe something that's memorable to you or that you especially enjoyed I think the one, uh, one of one that stands out is one with John Lennon when I did a song called Beautiful Boy on his double fantasy CD. I got a call from, in a, um, I was in Los Angeles, I got a call to come to New York. And when I got in there, I mean, it's also so, so private um, to get in there, full security and all these different things. And the whole studio is all blocked off. And I said, where am I going? Am I going in a Fort Knox or something here? You know? Anyway, but I got in there and, and that's when we did a song, Beautiful Boy, uh, with John Lennon, that was a memorable moment for me, and um, also um, uh, being around with my great old friend, a friend named Taj Mahal, I've been playing with for a couple of years, but when I was getting into the blues things and all that, and um, that's a good time too, because I work with Taj for a little while, as a matter of fact, I work with Taj before I work with Jimmy, and that was pretty nice too, so these are the things I do remember, and, uh, you know. Some of the, as I say, that Lennon, John Lennon one is the one that stands out. 
Yeah. All the rest, like, you know, I did things with the Fire, Fire, you know, not on every CD, but, you know, a couple of songs on some of the CDs, I did things with, you know, I did Ringo's Little Groove, you know, Harry Nielsen, you know, all these different guys have been around. You get a chance to really play with them. It's fun. And, uh, Mr. Utley, you have produced many albums. Right. And uh, you're credited on a lot of albums like Dan Fogelberg and also some lesser-known groups, some CDs that I particularly enjoyed, like both of the Evangeline CDs. Right. Uh, tell us about some of these projects, some that maybe stick out in your mind or that you're especially proud of. Well, uh, I mean, it, it, when I got to work with Roy Orbison, um, Roy came in and sang on um, Jimmy and myself and a guy named Will Jennings, who's a, a Texas guy, a uh, great songwriter, um, was a big fan of Roy's in the 50s, and Roy was still living in Nashville, and we ended up using on a... Uh, doing backgrounds on a, on, on, on a, um, I can't remember the song that, uh, that, yeah, on, yeah, it was on, um, maybe Last Mango. Anyway, Roy, she, he was still living in Nashville. He and Barbara moved to Los Angeles and I had a chance, Will set it up to work with Roy. Uh, his label, Monument, had gone belly up and so he wanted to redo his uh, greatest hits. And uh, so I transcribed all the different parts and uh, uh, we recut all the, you know, the, the big hits of the 50s and 60s, and uh, which was a great uh, project for me. And that was in 85, in January of 85. Ended up working on his next record, uh, which was uh, the one that had... Uh, uh, Bono, uh, Jeff Lynn, I produced it. I can't, I don't know the name of the record. Uh, but anyway, uh, I did some arrangements, some string arrangements for that. And also the, the, the real treat was working on him, uh, on this, uh, as a musical director, Black and White Night, which was with Bruce Springsteen, Jackson Brown, who I, Jackson I'd worked with many times. Uh, and let's see, Elvis Costello. All the guys that played in Elvis's band um, with the basic rhythm section. T-Bone Burnett was, you know, an integral part of it. Um, and uh, I'm thinking uh, Katie Lang was a uh, Bonnie Raitt, uh, who's an old friend. But that was that was a real treat, uh, it, you know, just to work with Roy uh, uh, for that the filming of that. And I, you know, that was one of my all-time great memories. And Mr. Greenwich, you come from Trinidad, and uh, I know you're very proud of that. Oh, yeah. So tell us uh, a little bit about Trinidad and how it's made you the musician you are today. Well, Trinidad, one of the, to me, it would be one of the greatest places ever because of the fact that it was the land of the steel drum. The original... Steel drum makers or steel pan makers, they call them, came from Trinidad. Although there's a big discrepancy sometimes, they say it's from Jamaica or Antigua, but it's from Trinidad. And um, the guys, great guys, like a gentleman named Ellie Manette, he now came out to uh, like West Virginia University and has nice steel drum program going there. And a lot of guys, uh, you know, good um, uh, steel pan tuners uh, travel around the world now and 
get uh, make nice drums for all these different groups and different things. But back to Trinidad, Trinidad, is, as we call it, is the land of the hummingbird, and it's Trinidad and Tobago. It's actually two islands put together, separated by. And I think it takes about 20 minutes to fly from one island to the other. Data was by boat, but it's, it's Trinidad and Tobago, and um, that's as I said, you know. Growing up there, I, my thing was playing steel drums with them for the piano all over the island. And uh, by doing that, I get a chance to really meet you know, the people there, all the steel fan tuners. I, I would like to call their names like Ellie Manette, Booty Marshall, who tunes my drums. I won the pass of the Corridor Charles. All these were great tuners. Um gentleman named Neville Jules, another one named Spree Simon. These are the guys that really... Um, build the steel plant where it's at today. And, um, we are just the, uh, the people that play the instrument that they make and transport it to the world for them, let people hear what they do, how great the songs are, and how they get the instrument to sound like this from nothing, from an old oil drum to something nice and beautiful that you can listen to all day. Um, you know, I mean, it has come a long way from the 40s. Was you know two three notes and then next guy make five and next guy make nine and then this went on to fifteen another guy now they they up to like thirty two notes on a steel fan one drum like a lead drum that is and uh, that's great I mean you know it takes a lot of work a lot of time and I do enjoy going back and forth because there's two groups down there that I work with uh, in Trinidad the Desperados and another group called the Solo Fan Nights um, this is a young kids band that I work with them there so I go back and forth every year for the Mardi Gras. And, uh, well, the carnival, as we say, and there's a thing we call, we call the Panorama, which is the major festival for steel fans in Trinidad. All the groups before, there's so many, uh, different groups in Trinidad, like about 60 to 80 groups, and then some of these groups have like 100, 120 people. Some might have less, but so a lot of people are involved in steel fans in Trinidad. And the reason for, I guess, is the only instrument, one of the instruments that was around for us, we didn't have time. We could not didn't have time. We wasn't really ready for the pianos and the guitar because we, we got stuck in the pack. You know, there's other mu- great musicians there that come out of Trinidad, great classical musicians, uh, play the piano, uh, guitar, any of the horns and that, but we stopped with pack. And um, that's why I've been promoting that ever since I know myself. And since Mr. Greenwich filled us in on his musical roots, mm-hmm. um, Mr. Utley, if you could tell us a little bit about you and music growing up, what kind of stuff you like to listen to, and uh, just tell us a little bit about your musical history, like what you loved. Well, I, I grew up about 70 miles north of Memphis, Tennessee, on the Arkansas Delta side of uh, the Mississippi River, and I listened to Memphis music and also New Orleans music, and um, Robert and I, it, it was funny uh, hearing a brass band down in New Orleans, oh, yes. a mambo is nothing more than a slow calypso. And that's what we always said that we had in common was, you know, basically New Orleans was settled by, you know, the same immigrants that uh, the the islands. Yeah. And so um, it's just a, a different tempo. But it's still the same. The same. It's it's and so that's what we, you know, New Orleans is our meeting spot. Uh, and uh, I always listen to, uh, you know, Ernie Cato and uh, and Alan Toussaint and, and Mac. I, I had the pleasure of working with uh, Dr. John uh, in Miami for about six months. Uh, in fact, we did a, an album together, Buddy Guy and Junior Wells. Uh, he was playing piano. 
I play piano on some of it, and, and then I was playing organ. So I just to, to be, you know, to sit in the chair next to him was what a privilege. And, uh, you know, uh, Professor Longhair, um, just all that New Orleans mambo music, uh, you know, it, it, like I said, it's the, the relationship between uh, New Orleans, which is like the northernmost point of the Caribbean. Right. And uh, that's that were my musical influences. Ray Charles, to say the least. Yes. Unbelievable. I mean, I just saw the movie Ray. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The the music that he did. Uh, I mean, growing up listening to that, you know, because he was influenced by a lot of different genres. Right. Yeah. Which was the movie really, you know, showed that well that you know. When he said, I listened to Grand Ole Opry. That's right. I got some country music. <laughs> That's right. That's right. I think there was some great hits coming out from, you yeah. know, he did some good work. And, uh, and I look at the movies and I said, yeah, damn, man. Yeah. It's happening. He yeah. has some good old roots, you know. Yeah. yeah. But uh, New Orleans and Trinidad, is, that's close. That's as close as you could get to the Caribbean uh, within the States. Exactly. And when you're traveling out on the road, is there any city in particular um, that is a lot of fun. Like I went up and saw you guys in Boston, and I thought this is a great city. This is a lot of fun, and that was the best time in Buffett that I've ever seen. It was the best concert I've ever seen him with. And uh, what show did you see? I saw the first one, and I was just amazed. Yeah, because we felt like the second one was was better. was better. Yeah, Are you talking about Fenway Park, Fenway? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 We we felt like, but you know, we never know. I mean, you know, you guys sit singing out front. You guys, I mean, it. yeah. We what we know is what you know the way it feels feels to us. Yeah, yeah. But uh, we felt like the second one was was stronger. Just like we did two uh, Las Vegas shows uh, recently, and the second one definitely was. For us, was was better. Yeah, something but, about that that you feel, you know, for some reason, the second show always, from a musical standpoint, right. we feel more comfortable, feel comfortable what yeah. we do. You know, yeah. as first one, we get it out there because everybody's uh, all joyous and happy, and you know, they get a nice vibe going. I mean, people do enjoy it. They do enjoy both shows. Is oh it? yeah, uh, I mean, it's it's just you know, we've been doing this for a long time, wow. <laughs> and so. As far it's just little things that make us feel more comfortable, and and also Jimmy. I mean, you know, he he usually feels comf- more comfortable. Yeah. You know, his timing. You know, we 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 play off of what he's his rapport. You know, and um, it's just uh, usually the second show is uh, is a lot more relaxed. Yes, because he he's not really. He, you know, he usually uh, try to make the show better, no matter what you do. He come today and say something else, something new. Oh, we're gonna try this today. Oh, let's put in a new song now. Uh, the next second show, we change songs. We change two songs or three songs within that, and it makes a big difference. Right, it makes a big difference. And it's like he he always tries to incorporate the local, uh, you know, uh, folklore, like we did uh, the Neil Diamond tune. Yes, uh, <laughs> Sweet Caroline. Which I had, you know, I've been to probably forty Red Sox games. I, ne- I never heard it, but evidently they do it now. You know, they they uh, sing it. They, they sing that during the eighth inning or yeah, yeah, or the seventh inning stretch. So anyway, he incorporated that in into the uh, into the show, you know, and into get drunk and screw. So you know, we're always he's always coming up with those kind of great ideas to 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 make it personalized. 
Yeah, purple rain. rain yeah. Into dead drunk at school. Into into uh, into sweet sweet Caroline. Yeah. I was like, yeah. Now when did you come with that idea from? You know yeah. what I mean? <laughs> but it works. Yeah, it works. And yeah, yeah he, he's that's one good thing with him. We know with him with that he's sharp with the mind. And so anyway, why usually the second show is is tighter is because we get an idea of what he's going to be doing. Right. You know, uh, not. The songs. I mean, the songs. It's just the rapport between the audience and and his rapport between the audience and himself. Yeah, we have an idea exactly what he's going to be doing. You know, and sometimes he throw a curveball on us and say, "Okay, look at the set list and say, all right, let's play one particular harbor." And mean, like he might start something else. Yeah, you know, it just depends. But you know, very rare that happens. But when it do happen, it's like everybody said, "Uh oh, right, what is she doing?" And then he check the set list and say. I'm not following this anymore. And share it up. Let's go. <laughs> but it depends on where the show is. The big, big shows, major shows. I mean, you know, we uh, we all set for what we want to do, and this is great. But you, to get around to your question, you say what shows? I mean, what cities do we love? Yeah. Uh, there's several cities. Yeah. Chicago is is great. Yeah. I mean, just to be in. You know, we we hub out of cities now. We. Uh, other words, if we play Indianapolis, we'll stay in Chicago. Uh, and uh, if we play Detroit, we'll usually stay in Chicago and fly over there, fly back after the show. So we we get to spend a lot of time in these cities. Uh, Boston's one of them, Chicago, uh, Atlanta, mm-hmm. um, San Francisco, which is, you know, a great city. Uh, and then we get to stay down in uh, – we don't stay in Los Angeles. We stay in um, – Laguna Beach, Laguna Beach yeah. yeah, which is about 60 miles south of L.A., and uh, which is a great time. So um, there's about four or five. We don't get to get up the Pacific Northwest as much as we'd like to, but I understand we're going to go maybe yeah. next year, yeah. We, every other year we get, you know, Seattle's a great town. Portland's a great town. Yeah. 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 Is there any song in particular that you guys have written that uh, you're just especially proud of? That just when you hear it, you sing. This is a great song. I love "Last Mango in Paris." That uh, that that was written. Uh, Jimmy and Will Jennings and I were down here with Marshall Chapman, um, and we started the song. I mean, he, he had the title. Jimmy had the title, and I wrote the chorus on the airplane back to Miami. Um, just you know, because we were talking about it, we finished it in Nashville, and. Uh, that was to me it was just it 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 musically and uh it, it sort of has become a standard with parent heads and and I, I really as far as the one I've been involved in um you know that's one of my favorites and mr Greenwich uh it's lots of good songs um uh, between us with the Club Trini band, I mean, you know, we came up with a lot of original material that we did between ourselves, uh, you know, me and Mike. And uh, I have a song that I like very much, a song called Paradise Yacht, for some okay. reason. I like that song very much. I thought it was in the Club Trini section. And then Mike writes some nice songs to Club Trini also. I like how we combine our stuff together. Because I want some of his feeling into it and some of mine goes into it and we come up with whatever great ideas we have. But as I said, you know, Paradise Garden, Love is Made of This, all these are right. songs that we, uh, from the Club Trini CDs that we like. Vajero, um, uh, Vajero, that's, that's, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's, that's a great Jubilee. Jubilee. Which is more of a classical sort of piece, uh, mm-hmm. which we had fun doing. You know, yeah. that's 
you know, Robert and I, um, the first three albums were basic. Well, the first two were sequenced albums. They, we didn't have other players. It was just Robert and I. Yeah, and and uh, then uh, the third album, he was a was a actual the first time we used a band, yeah. which was the uh, Eric a, yeah. Eric Gale, unbelievable guitarist, uh, yeah. who Robert had worked with with Ralph. Um, great guitarist, yeah, yeah, and um, Matt Benton, you know, he used to be the drummer with Jimmy and. Um, uh, well, Louis Conte. Louis Conte was a percussionist. Yeah. Piado. Yeah. The bass player. Great, great players. Yeah. And we did a live, uh, first time we did a live album. Right. Well, not live, but uh, live tracks for right. the CD instead of C concert. Right. And ever since that, we've been doing live. Doing live was, uh, the fourth album was with Ralph and Roger, Pete and Jim yeah. and uh, Nadira. Mm-hmm. And uh, and that's sort of what came to Club Trinity uh, yeah. group. Yeah. And then the other songs, like, well, of course, uh, with Jimmy Buffett, the song that I like is like One Particular Harbor. Yeah. Maybe it's because that's what, that was my entrance into the arena. That's right. You know, uh, that's one of my favorite songs, uh, with him. Uh, you know, there's a couple of those he's pushing there, you know, and then it really stands out. But One Particular Harbor, I like that. It's funny. One Particular Harbor didn't really, it didn't come. Uh, there was a, Jimmy didn't think, he thought it was too, uh, outside. To do on the album, and he played it for me. We were in, we were in Tahiti. Uh, actually, we were at the studio uh, record place. Right. Uh, in the street. And he said, "Do you think this will fit? Is it, you know, it's because it's two like two different sections. Right. You know, it has the uh, the verse section, then it goes into that Caribbean type of section." I said, "It's wonderful. We should do this. You know, but it, it, I mean, it, there was a possibility that it wasn't going to make the album. Okay. Yeah, yeah." I mean, this was before you before came, came in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and uh, came on and for some reason, it gelled very well. Yeah. In the studio, and uh, I right. guess you guys made up your mind. Um, yeah. Oh, no. Because he was uh, the producer. Yeah. I was co-producer with Jimmy. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I said, yeah, let's do that. Because he had never really done anything like that before. Those sort of uh, changing, yeah, changing paces, you know, in, in, a, in a song. And um, I said, oh, that's wonderful. And so we ended up going to Tahiti. <laughs> Yeah, and putting the choir, choir on the Tahitian choir, and uh, what else did we do that time? Uh, put the UCLA cheerleaders on one song, Frank and Lola. Right, Frank and Lola. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's always it's always something going on. <laughs> and then we were on the bus. Is uh, we used to be in the yeah, Club Trini back. That's where the Club Trini comes from. Yeah. Yeah. So we used the, back, the state the state room back in the back. We'd listen to a CD, flip those, and uh, and uh, we'd had, uh, in fact, Fingers was still in the band. Fingers, and, yeah, Fingers. And he put a sign up, said Club Trini. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> and that so, was it. Yeah, that, in other words, you couldn't come back there and play. We call that, and we call that the smoking section because guys just coming back there and smoke cigarettes. And right, 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 right. Ralph. But we were yeah. back there drinking all the stuff. Yeah, right, right. And, and listening to the clips. Listening to clips. Yeah. Going That's all you could play. You couldn't That's play anything. That's all the discotheque. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Going on the highway. Right, right. Until you're ready to go to bed. Of course, we don't. We we fly now. But that was it. You know, it was club training, and you had you couldn't come back there and play any other genre music. Yeah, clip, music. yeah just clips, clips or, or some of finger stuff. You know, and yeah, because he was into that blues and right, 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 right. And that's how um, that's how the club training name came about. That's right. Yeah. So, what do you guys listen to? Just you know, when you're driving or anything else, what kind of stuff? What kind of music are you into? Eighties rock. 
<laughs> That's what my son listens to. No, no, I, I, I'm being facetious. But no, Led Zeppelin. Yeah. <laughs> um, and my other son's into jazz. So I, we listen to what they listen to. That's right. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's just, and being a producer, you end up listening so much to uh, so what you're doing, what you're doing, that it's like, Give me a break. I got my ears have to take a rest. Yeah, so uh, <laughs> that's right. Yeah, so my son in the early days he used to listen to well when he was growing up. He's a big man now, but when right. he was growing up, he's yeah, this uh, the old uh, music that we used to listen to. He went back to listen to that for some reason. Uh-huh. These days now I'm hearing playing CDs. I said, you know, we used to play them thing a long time ago. Yeah. Right. And really? That's new, Dad. That's new. I said, no, that's not new. That's yeah. 25, 30 years old, you know? Right. And, um, you know, I listen to a lot of, uh, I like to hear to, uh, vocalists uh, sing. I like to hear, um, um, good instrumentals, mm-hmm. uh, music being played on the radio. And, you know, that type of thing, things that, you know, I could probably try to learn something from, you know, that's, that's what I like to kind of listen to. But, um, you know, I, I say I, I listen to what my sons listen to. It's funny because, uh, he'll put on, my older son will put on like Jimmy Smith, which I used to listen to right. as a kid. And there was no, I didn't say you ought to listen to or Oscar Peterson. He just picked it up, you know. So I, I'm still listening to the same stuff I listened to when I was, you know, when I was 12. You know, I, like I said, the, the 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 movie Ray, unbelievable. Oh, I mean to hear all that music in two hours. Mm-hmm. You know, great. Yeah. So when you guys are writing these club Trini compositions, right? Is there a process that you guys do, or is it just like uh, what what happens? How do these songs come to be? <laughs> well. Robert writes his. All right, man, Mike. And then we put them together. That's it. That's and then we combine. Yeah. You know, I do a section, he do a section sometimes, and, you know, I do mine in L.A., and he does this in Nashville, and right. we get together, we'll send together. each other, work things out. Right. Um, and it's never complete. Right. I mean, Roger, Roger's the worst. <laughs> Roger, he, you know, he's, he, he's played on the last three, so you guys don't even know what you're doing when yeah. you come in here. I said, no, I don't. But when we come up, we come up with a good project. Yeah, right, That's right. The key thing. You know, in other words, we leave space open yes. so that that it can develop yeah. uh, to be more spontaneous. And, uh, you know, because Roger's a writer that, you know, everything is completely organized. Yeah. I mean, you know, he knows exactly what he's going to do, you know, and, and we say, well, we got 32 bars. What are we going to do now? Right. Yeah. That's what we do. Yeah. yeah, and we do it, you know. Yeah, we've been a lot. And, you know. and both of us do leave space available. Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Cool. And then if you would, we would lay melodies together. Right. As Latrini. And not just the steel panel, the piano, but right. together. And it's a different song. You know, kind of make us, you know, let the people know that we know what we're doing. Right. You know, that's what you're playing. Right. And, uh, as instrumentals, uh, you know, that's what we go about it. Now we start to write, uh, we do the melodies and we have people like Ralph McDonald come up with some lyrics. Yes, Billy. Billy, mm-hmm. you know, kind of lyrics for us with songs like Love is Made of Bits. Right. Uh, these are the sounds that, uh, we didn't do the lyric. We had that do the lyric. And we would come with the melodies and then they would take the lyric and put it in place. And that's how it come up. So as, perfor- as far as performing goes, Performance performances. Um, you mentioned the Desperados. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, what other projects are you guys involved with? Right now? Yeah. Uh, there's not really, you know, uh, it, it's... Right. I mean, we're planning on Platrini. Yeah, that's During exactly. So, city. yeah, so then we can have it out by, by this time yeah. next year. Yeah. That's what we're planning on. Yeah, yeah. You know, we've been talking about it for a long time, but then, you know, it's... It's a little Yeah, yeah, we're going to do it. Yeah, you know. So, uh... And it'll be the same group. It'll be Robert and I and, uh, and Ralph and, and Raj and Pete and Jim and Madeira. Uh, yeah. New same group. Yeah. Okay. Other projects around, you know, I do other seed fan projects, basically. I go to, I do workshops, uh, different universities, other than being with Jimmy and doing the club city things. We do all these little things around. I go to NIU University. I go to West, uh, West Virginia University. I go to Mississippi. All there. We have all the projects in here. So I go about steel plants uh, all over the universities now. I mean, everybody's forming their little group in there. And, um, now people are able to um, get their degree in um, some of these universities. Which is great. And you're doing what? You're doing that uh, the great school. Well, yeah, yeah, that you yeah, do every year. Yeah, I do hear my um, young kids, uh, the name of band is Steal Your Heart. You know, and, uh, they'll be playing tomorrow, so I, I'm a marine So it's, it's a bunch of little kids that this lady by the name of Nora Revlin put together. She's a great pianist and, uh, she's trying to promote the panel that she's in love with it. And, and uh, that's why we, uh, I'm here to help her. So what is it that you guys like the most about playing music? Playing, it makes us feel good. That's why, that's why I chose to do it rather than being a physician. Oh, yeah, <laughs> you could have been talking to Doctor Utley right now. Right, right. But you're talking to Professor Utley. Right, right. <laughs> no, it, it, it makes you, uh, you know, it when satisfies it your soul. Yeah. You know, it's it's great. I mean, and that doesn't change. I mean, you know, if it changed, I wouldn't play. Yeah, yeah, I wouldn't play either. Yeah, yeah. yeah. If you can't be comfortable doing it, it'll make sense. Yeah, yeah. We choose this life, and this is where, this is really going down, and nothing's going to strike us. We hope nothing don't come in the way to stop us. Right. You know, it's from inside of your heart. Yeah. So, you know. This might sound like kind of a silly question. What is, is this? I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. What is the significance of the coffee cup in the Club Trini logo? That's, uh, they came from the, the uh, Margaritaville. That, right. you know, the, there were three Margaritaville albums. The first one was uh, from Key West. Is that right? Uh, yeah. In other words, on Margaritaville Records, there were three albums. Mm-hmm. One was live from different groups, plus Jimmy, right. from, uh, from Margaritaville here in Key West. The next one was... Uh, was live from Gumbo, was it called? Yeah. Yeah. Late Night Gumbo. Late Night Gumbo. Right. Yeah. And it, and the yeah. Late Night Menu. Late Night Menu. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so, um, yeah, Late yeah. Night Menu was the, the, the first one. Right. Is that right? I think Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. And uh, so there were three albums, and then uh, ours was oh, the last one. Last one. So that's, that's, that's live. My family in the audience. Yeah. Yeah. That was a bit. So anyway, that's what it, that's the significant significant the, the, the coffee cup. Yeah, I mean, it had to do with those series of albums. And this show goes out all over the world. So I'd like to ask you guys, what do you want to say to the world? 
Have good time. Have a good time. Yeah. Keep buying all the CD. Right. And uh, anytime you hear Club Trini anywhere around, come and support us. Come on out there because yeah. we travel all over also. But yeah, enjoy life. Enjoy life. Yeah, that's, you know, I that's think. That, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and how can the listeners find out about Club Trini? Um, if you guys want to plug the websites. Well, yeah, uh, you can go to Club Trini, uh, dot com and uh, uh, is it clubtrainee.com or I know what, what the email address is yeah, it's clubtrainee.com and uh, you know it gives things that we're doing and also you can buy products there yeah you can uh, buy products yeah. Yeah. yeah you can also look to uh, Robert Gunners he has one uh, website uh, www.robertgunners.com um, your other one is uh, Oh, that's the email address. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but 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 you go to club training. Club training. Yeah, inside. Okay, um, guys, thanks so much. I really appreciate this time with Coconutly, and <laughs> I love that thing. Coconutly. Yep, uh, yeah. it's so clever. That's my wife. She named that uh, publishing company, yeah. Coconutly Music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Road Green. That's it. That's it. Thanks a lot, guys. Thank you. I'm uh, pleasure so talking with you. Thank you for stopping by today. If you enjoyed our program, consider telling a friend about it. The Paul Leslie Hour is made possible through people just like you. So you want to keep the show going, right? Go to thepaulleslie.com. That's thepaulleslie.com. Click on Support the Show. And thanks to everyone who contributes. Performance of the intro music is courtesy of John Primerano, The Entertainer, written by Scott Joplin. End credit theme music is courtesy of John Primerano, the traditional song, Corina, Corina. Your announcer is Dan Gold. Hey, that's me. The show is hosted and produced by Paul Leslie. And we'll see you next time on the Paul Leslie Hour.